Welcome to Renaissance Online Radio. You can find us at renaissanceonlineradio.com or you can reach us by email at renaissanceonlineradio at gmail.com. Now here's your host. Hello again, everybody. I'd like to thank all of the folks listening. Uh, We've had some new listeners added since our last podcast, and I've had some really creative and helpful feedback, and I'd like to thank those who have taken the time to provide it. Do you have a right to defend yourself? If you have the right to life, liberty, and property, whose responsibility is it to defend those rights? The collectivist would argue that it is the collective responsibility, and that can translate into it is the responsibility of the state. Well, in some states that may be the way it works, and in some states, nations I should say, uh, that might even work. But in the United States, the individual carries ultimate responsibility. You may argue that no, the police have the responsibility to defend us, the citizens, from known or suspected threats. Unfortunately, for those who would like to make that argument, there are a number of court cases, such as Castle Rock versus Gonzalez, where a Miss Gonzalez found that her estranged husband, who had been under an order of protection, took their three young daughters. She demanded that the police intervene, and for one reason or another, the police did not intervene in a timely fashion. And ultimately, the three daughters were killed. The case hinged on whether or not the police had a duty to protect Ms. Gonzalez and her children from her estranged husband. There being an order of protection in place and a report to the authorities that the order had been broken, one would possibly construe from that that there should be a duty on the part of the police to enforce that order of protection in a timely manner. In the end, the Supreme Court decided that the police have no duty to protect. My own experience with the need for personal protection started a few years ago when a neighbor communicated in no uncertain terms that he was not interested in talking. The quote was, The next time I talk to you, it will be through the sights of my weapon. Now, it didn't take me long after that to go from having never owned a gun to owning several and having a carry permit for my state. It has been said that the act of self-defense is the ultimate act of individualism, or I should say the ultimate expression of individualism. Now, this may be a key difference that leads to the ongoing arguments about gun control, whether or not the citizen 
of the United States has a right to own the weapon of their choice. The collectivist will argue that the individual should give up the right of personal self-defense to the greater good of collective safety. And in a crowded metropolitan environment, such as New York City, that might make sense where there's a cop on every corner and uh, getting assistance from law enforcement is relatively quick, or at least should be. But what about those of us who don't live in a crowded metropolitan area? Why should we have to live under rules that are better applied in a different area? So we have the ongoing disagreement, which I've highlighted in past episodes, of rural versus urban governance and the elitist attitude that the flyover country folks, those clinging to their God and their guns, just they aren't as enlightened and really should just be forced to knuckle under and live like the rest of us in the cities. You may wonder why there may be opposition to what they call expanded background checks and supposedly close the, quote, gun show loophole, end quote. Well, you got to realize that there is no gun show loophole. If a dealer at a gun show is selling a weapon, a background check is required. If an individual anywhere at a gun show, at his home, at a friend's home, on the side of the road, wishes to sell a gun, to another individual who he has no reason to believe is disqualified from having that gun, he is also free to do that. So you may be asking, so what difference does it make? Why not just make everybody go through a background check? Well, in order to background check your buyer, you have to be a federal firearms license holder and If you have your FFL, then you are required to do a background check. But the bigger issue is a belief that a record of the gun sale, which occurs with a background check, is a data point that can be used in gun registration and therefore future gun confiscation. This pattern of register and eventually confiscate weapons has been seen in history in places like Germany and uh, basically anywhere where a tyrant has been. Tyrants are allergic to the individual owning a weapon. And, you know, Americans aren't necessarily stupid. We do tend to try to learn from the mistakes of other countries. At least a certain percentage of our population does. And so you have a general sense among gun owners that background checks equal future confiscation. Confiscation is seen by many 
as leaving the population completely vulnerable to the whims of the government and of criminals. So, that kind of boils down to the bottom line, what a lot of people feel and few people realize or admit. These statistics on crimes being committed with guns in the hands of licensed gun owners reveal that very few of those guns are used in the commission of any violent crime. So you might ask why we need to change anything. And to be honest, I ask the same question. I believe that we are simply making life more difficult for those who are legal gun owners and in the process making it a little bit less dangerous for the criminals who in my area like to do things like home invasions, even when you're home, and take stuff so they can go buy drugs. Or, if you're someone who has prescribed drugs, they break in to take those. By the time the police show up, the only thing left to do is secure the scene and write reports. So, if you were the person who owns the home that is broken into, which would you prefer? To have a tool at your disposal that might change the outcome in your favor? or be completely at the mercy of criminals. So, you know, it's your call. I don't have a problem with whichever choice you make, as long as your choice doesn't dictate my choices. See, that's the point of liberty. Liberty means that if I choose to defend myself with a weapon, I can. And if you choose to not defend yourself with a weapon, you are free to do that. The difference, unfortunately, is that those who believe in liberty believe in liberty for both sides, while those who believe in the state want to impose restrictions based on their beliefs on me. Notice that I haven't brought up the Second Amendment. Because all it does is reveal a natural right. The right of the people to have and bear arms shall not be infringed. That right exists with or without the Second Amendment. It's just that the Second Amendment limits the government from impinging on that right. You know, in a perfect world, there probably wouldn't be a need for guns. But we don't live in a perfect world. And we cannot imagine that unilateral disarmament is going to protect the citizens who follow the rules. Sadly, our society has chosen to banish from public discourse the vehicles that were once used to teach moral behavior and how to really have a functional society 
that is still free. I'm talking about religion. It was once the way we taught our kids to behave. What have we replaced it with? Well, we really haven't replaced it with anything. And so we have a significant number of people today with little moral compass. I remember my dad used to say, control yourself or I will have to control you. And what we are moving toward is the government doing that for us. That's all for this edition of the Renaissance Online Radio Podcast. We invite your participation by sending email to renaissanceonlineradio at gmail.com or by commenting on our Facebook page. Our Twitter handle is at RenaissanceRDO. Thanks and have a great day.